Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is The Riverfront, episode number 447 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me again this week, your friend and mine, Nate Dotson. How are you, Nate? Ooh, man, feeling good. Feel, feel a little bit dangerous. I don't, I don't know if it's the podcast influencing me or if I'm influencing the podcast, but we're going to run with it. How are you? Yeah, little, How are you? Yeah, yeah little, little from column A, little from column B. <laughs> uh, you're the most dangerous person I know. Uh, but before we go much further, let me just go ahead and say, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, smash the subscribe button. If you're listening to the audio version, you know, why not subscribe? Have have uh, this gorgeous voice delivered right into your ears, onto your phone every single week, wherever you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Um, and then just quickly, this show would not be possible without the support of our Patreon family. Thank you all. Patreon.com slash Sensi. Nay, nay, the season's over. What's that all about? And, and and I guess let me go ahead and say before I hand it over to you, I actually had more fun this week watching the Reds than I have probably all season long in kind of a it, – it, it got fun in a really weird way, to paraphrase uh, David Bell. It did. We'll, uh, we'll get into some of that here in a little bit. I am sure of it. But it was kind of interesting the way that our little community – and we're talking about our Patreon family um, – yeah company man it's patreon.com slash riverfront city where you too can join part of the riverfront um everybody was a lot more active over the last you know couple weeks than they really have been for the last couple months since it's been such a slog of a season so yeah it stinks that baseball is over for the reds it's been over for a from a competitive standpoint for quite some time we all know that but not having that little bit of my routine to look forward to Every morning, checking box scores, checking stats. Uh, you know, that always sucks at the end of the year. I'm still muted, and I am still muted. What's that all about? Uh, <laughs> I, we've only done 447 episodes of these. I'm going to figure it out at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so we recorded this on Thursday, as we always do, and uh, it's weird. You know, there's there's no game. <laughs> Last game was mm-hmm. obviously uh, yesterday. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what Nate was talking about, why – uh, this week ended up being a little bit of fun and maybe in a, in a, in a strange way. But let's ultimately talk about um, the, the week that was. Now, the Reds played the Cubs six straight games uh, last uh, last we saw them. And, of course, they proceeded to lose the first three in Chicago. So they come home to Cincinnati and the race for 102, which, of course, is 102 losses, which would have been the uh, highest number in the history of the franchise. And personally, uh, more personally here at the riverfront uh tattoo watch 2022 <laughs> now we talked about that last week and uh as happens you know our uh, faithful uh, viewers uh one james urban is the one in this one who went back and actually found the uh the genesis of tattoo watch 2022 so i'm going to play this this clip came from episode number 423 it was back in may may 6th at the time the reds were three and 22 so here, here, here's how that uh, conversation went. Okay, well, I'll say this. If the Reds lose 102 games to have the worst season in uh, in Reds history, I will crowdsource a tattoo for myself to commemorate it. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. I hope no one's listening and no one remembers that. People were listening and someone remembered. <laughs> yes, and I, I was in real danger there for a while. Look, after they... After they Lost all three to the Cubs, you know. So that was ninety nine losses, and uh, it, it was it was on the horizon. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm really gonna have to crowdsource a tattoo. Um, 
And then, of course, the Reds proceed to win the game one at home against the in the final series here against the Cubs. And then, then won game two. So now, and so we were having fun goofing around, 102, you know, and everybody was laughing about the tattoo. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was just, it was funny. But then we had a real, are the Reds going to lose 100, 100 games? Now, I, I sort of felt guilty just because somehow I'm that, that nine-year-old that picked the Reds back then. I, I sort of felt guilty, but I was a- absolutely 100% cheering for the Reds to lose. No, no, I take that back. I wasn't cheering for the Reds to lose that last game to get to 100 losses. I was cheering for for uh, the Castellanis to be embarrassed by 100 losses because it's only the second time in history the Reds have lost 100. Uh, so that number needed to be there to embarrass this ridiculous ownership. Uh, I hate it for some of the players who were trying as hard as they could, but, of course, they dropped the final game 15-2 to two and uh, did get 100 losses. So, Nate, uh, t- tell me your relationship with Tattoo Watch uh, 2022 and with ultimately 100 losses. It was a lot of fun, a lot of excitement that I didn't expect from a 100-loss team. Um, I thought that maybe because we have such a good time on our Slack channel that the family would have been, they were, yeah, their, their contributions to what that tattoo might have been would have been thoughtful. You know, this is something that could be on your body for the rest of your life. They really latched on to the crowdsource thing. They were coming coming hard in the paint with some uh, some ideas that you would not have been proud to show your wife and kids. So um, in that regard, I'm glad that 102 did not happen. Um, it was weird. It was weird kind of rooting for the team to lose. I reconciled it by, A, you know, wanting them to be better positioned for the number one overall draft pick, uh, increase those lottery odds, and, B, I was hoping that if they lost, it would be because everybody played really, really well until Hunter Strickland blew it in the ninth. Because I don't that care about okay. that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, 100 losses. I mean, that's a big deal, Nate. Um, only one other time in Reds history have they lost 100 games. And uh, let's actually run, run through that history just a little bit. Um, in fact, only four teams in Reds history have lost more than 96 games. And so that's uh, – with, uh, with 100 losses, this year's team only topped by 1982 with 100 losses. Now – 20 seasons in which the Reds lost at least 90 games. There have been 20 seasons ever, six of those from the Castellini era. And if you're watching on YouTube, you just saw me uh, uh, hit the mute button and sneeze. Exciting times for uh, hay fever here in Central Virginia. It's, now, it's important to note really quick that this is a 141-year history. This isn't an expansion team. Exactly, exactly. Now, there is a caveat that we do need to mention, which is uh, in 1962, the Major League season expanded to 162 games. So that's 61 seasons. (laughs) Now I'm still muted. Goodness gracious, we just need to start over. This is, we are like the Reds. Here, Nate. I'm leaving. I'm giving it to you for a moment. Yeah, we're limping to the finish line here. Um, I don't know where you go with this. Um, there's been a lot of dialogue on the Twitter verse this week about people rooting for lottery odds, people putting all their faith in the front office and ownership. And I sort of get that optimistic look, but there seems to have been a serious rally around sort of what we always have been preaching here, and that is the fans deserve better than this. Um, the futility, specifically in the Castellini era, 
has it's just been difficult. It's been hard from a fan perspective. It makes it difficult to tune in all the time and spend your dollars and then raise your kids to go and be a part of this. It's not been fun. I hope, if nothing else, that the 100 uh, you know, triple-digit losses light some kind of fire in the Castellinis. I hope it embarrasses them. I hope they, the entire city sort of finds a way to let them know, hey, this stunk, and it was not acceptable. Yeah, I hope so. And I do want to revisit that in a moment, but uh, let me just finish what I was trying to say before the uh, allergies uh, hit me. Teams play uh, 162 games now. Before 1962, they only played 154 and then fewer in the past. But So let's just look at that. So 61 seasons since it was uh, they had expansion and they uh, increased the, the schedule to 162 games. In 11 of those 61 seasons, the Reds have lost 90 or more games. 11 out of 61. So out of those 11... The Castellanos are responsible for six of those 11, 55%. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's embarrassing is what it is. And um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't want to dwell too much on, uh, well, I do want to dwell on a little bit, but we don't need to, I guess, because we, we do want to get into what, where we are going forward. But it's a real question as to whether that triple digit number will actually embarrass the Castellanos enough to do something. I don't know that that it will. Uh, they did do something today. I think they fixed everything today, Nate. Everything is fixed now. The Reds announced they are firing five major league coaches. Um, none of them are David Bell. They announced that David Bell, who did have another year on his contract, will be returning as manager of the Reds next year. First base, infield, and base running coach Delano DeShields. Advanced scouting coach Christian Perez. Bullpen coach Lee Tunnel. Assistant coach Rolando Valles and hitting coach Alan Zinter will not return in 2023. Nate, it's it, A, here, here are your options. A, does this fix the Reds' problems? Or B, is this rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic? Unfortunately, it is obviously and clearly B. Um, no surprise to anyone that David Bell did not get the boot, who, you know, he, He's a yes man. The ownership trusts him to go out and do that thing. He's going to do it. Um, and who else wants that job right now? It's going to look a lot more appealing in 2024. But these these don't move the needle at all. Sure, fire the hitting coach. They didn't hit well. I get it. But you're firing a bunch of people that the average fan would never heard of. And nothing's going to change. The team's not going to be any better or worse because of that, at least not enough to matter in the, uh, in the standings. Yeah, but I guess my question is this. Um... You're right. The average fan has never heard of any of those guys. Um, even sort of uh, hardcore fans are probably uh, only familiar with with Zinter and uh, and Delano DeShields. I wonder though if this is uh, obviously these guys are scapegoats. You know, mm -hmm. that that is what it is. They're they scapegoats. I had to do something right, and that's why I say uh, rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. Is it uh, for the average fan who no? Maybe they're thinking, oh well. Now the Reds, they, this is not acceptable to the Reds. Look at them. They're already, not even 24 hours later, they're already making moves to fix this team. I, I don't know. I can't speak for the average fan who doesn't pay that much attention, but I wonder if there's some uh, PR element that helps in finding a scapegoat. And it's something I noted uh, last week, which is this team's lost 90 games in five of the last seven full seasons, and yet no one has really lost their job. I guess Brian Price did, manager Brian Price. But no one in any position of authority has lost their job. No one in any position of authority still has lost their job. Uh, just some coaches who may have been bad at their jobs, I don't know. Um, 
but uh, you can't say they're the reason the Reds lost 100 games. So uh, until they actually do something about the people that are making the decisions, then it's just papering over the serious systemic problems within this organization. Now, that's not to say that the quote unquote future is you know, isn't bright. People are gonna uh, people say that. If if you hear somebody saying that, okay, that's fine. The Reds are in a position where a, a legitimate organization that's that's well run could absolutely have a bright future. There's no question. If Theo Epstein were running the Reds without interference for, from owners, yes, the future would be bright. But when someone tells you the future is bright, um, I, I would submit that you cannot believe that the future is bright here unless you have blind faith in the people making the decisions. And I would say that all the evidence is that the people making decisions are incapable of running a major league franchise. Every single piece of evidence, except for maybe at the trade deadline, they made a few decent trades, which they did. Um, but I, I would suggest that we're going to be optimistic. You know, hope is, hope is what we uh, trade in around here at, at the riverfront because you have to hope. And in the, and as I've said in recent weeks, there are there is a path to a competitive team. But if if, if someone again, if someone tells you the future's bright, you, you got to say, well, it, it, is it is it really bright, or is it just because uh, it, it's bright if we believe in the decision makers? So um, I, I got off on a little bit of a rant there, but I just uh, that that term blind faith to me is what you have to have to really believe that anything the Reds do this season is going to lead to something down the road because what they've shown us is. Uh, Every decision they've made in the last 10 years has effectively resulted in a 100-loss team. So, I don't know. Am I being dramatic? I, I think you have reason. I mean, yeah, yes is the answer, but I think you have reason to be. Um, we should get this out of the way now because we don't want this to become the world's most negative episode because that's how it kind of feels right now with a 100-loss season. You know, this It's the second worst season by win-loss record, not percentage, but losses in team history. Uh, C. Trent Rosecrans over at The Athletic had a column out that said, the rebuild is real, and the only question is how long will it last? And that's what's on everybody's mind. There is not a lot of argument that Nick Crawl did a good job at the deadline. Um, you know, and I get wanting to be optimistic. I really, really do. Life is short, and you know, we probably already care too much about this darn team. But to say over and over that you believe that these guys – you, know, you believe in them that they uh, get faith in what they're doing. It simply boggles the mind. I mean, yeah, they executed at the deadline this year well. I think that's pretty easy to claim. But does that mean they will suddenly, and keep in mind that they've literally never, ever done this before, that they're just going to stay the course and soundly, successfully execute a multi-year vision and plan? I mean, I understand wanting to believe that they will, but if I were a betting man, and you know, I kind of am on occasion. <laughs> Right, right, right. And, and that's not that I'm not up to, I'm very optimistic, you know, about the future because the pieces are in place if they want to execute them. Now, do I believe they're going to? No. Do I hope they're going to? Yes. And we're, and that's why, that, that's what, that's why there's reason for me to keep tuning in to see because yeah. it, it's not like there's no, there's nothing to build from here. Okay. Yeah. They, they tore it down in a ridiculous way. It's just ludicrous over the last 10 years, but okay. We, we can whine about that if we want. And I'm going to make fun of the one loss team as much as I can because I think it's funny that Castellini Shrez lost 100 games. But, um, but, but, but there is a, there's a vision for the future that I'm excited to see what happens. Um, and, and optimistic is probably not the right term. I'm optimistic in the sense that there is a reason for hope here, and there hasn't always been in Cincinnati. Um, I don't trust the Reds to to execute, 
but maybe they will and that'd be great and we'll be maybe they will and it's entirely possible that they will and it's going to be great (laughs) that's what we hope so uh so anyway yes i think that's i think that's all right now let me uh uh, let me see what there was first i guess i should say the reds not only finished you kind of touched on it briefly a moment ago but the reds finished in last place not only did they lose 100 games, they finished in last place because on the last day of the season, they lost their 100th game, whereas the Pirates, who had already lost 100, won their final game. So the Pirates had the tiebreaker for last place, essentially. And yet, and yet, despite the Reds having, uh, and the tiebreaker was that they lost 12 out of what 12 out of 19 to the Pirates this year, which is just come on, really. Um, so you think, all right, well, the Reds get a, a higher draft pick, right? Well. Not necessarily. Maybe. This year, they're having a, a draft lottery. And uh, so the Reds uh, have some percent chance of, a certain percentage chance of getting the number one pick. The Pirates have a slightly better chance because the Pirates were deemed to be the the number three, you know, uh, worst team rather than the Reds because the tiebreaker for the draft lottery was the results of the 2021 season, which is completely ridiculous. So I don't know. But anyway, the Reds still have a chance of getting a good draft pick. And uh, yay, we'll get some some high school guy that uh, yeah might be here in seven years. Wahoo! <laughs> hey, I will get excited about the first and only number one draft pick in Reds history. That's true. That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, all right, one last thing before we start getting into some, uh, some, some real fun here. But I did want to go ahead and mention this because uh, – our buddy Woo the Reds has uh, said a, a really not really uh, a viewer mail question, but a viewer mail, I don't know, uh, rant. I don't know what it is. But anyway, here's what uh, Woo says. I keep hearing plenty of people wanting to give the Reds another pass on a failed season because of the prospects they received in return for the trades, uh, which is, I don't give a pass, obviously, but they did receive good prospects. Wu says, I think that glosses over that Reds ownership intentionally sabotaged the 2022 season before it even started. This set the stage for them to be, we have to trade all these players. We're smart to be doing this. Look how great we did, et cetera, talking points. The front office created the, created the pretense to reach their desired outcome of shedding payroll and not retaining talent. We shouldn't be rewarding a bad faith effort because of, quote, the prospects. Additionally, why should anyone be praised for what they should have done if the situation arose early? The bar just seems so extremely low, and anytime it's cleared, it seems many feel the front office may be, should be praised or given a pass. This leads into my second point. As crappy as the season was, the biggest takeaway is a significant number of ex-Reds who had no issues pointing out ownership wasn't interested in winning. This is how the players felt about their employer once uh, freed from any possible retribution. To me, it's the biggest red flag amongst all the red flags we've seen. Every bit of that's true, as far as I'm concerned. You may disagree. Today. Every bit of that is true. Um, I, I think there's, in, in all the talk, you know, and I, this is sort of what I was getting to with the blind faith comment a moment ago. All the talk about, well, you know, the Reds are set up to do well, and you know they're um, they got a haul at the deadline, and you know the future's bright. All of that just kind of accepts the premise that the Reds had to do this, and it's a completely faulty premise. First of all, last year, if the Reds had just fixed the bullpen from day one, or spent any money at all on the major league roster before opening day last year, that's a team that can potentially. Uh, would have made the playoffs last year. They won 83 games. And now this is uh, easy to say because some of the guys did not have as good a year this year, so I don't know what if they were going to have done that. But going into a, a, a season with an 83-win 83 win team, this year, I think, what, 88 wins, five for the playoffs mm-hmm. in the National League? The Reds, All the Reds had to do 
Let's try to figure out how to get five more wins from that roster last year. Now, again, easier said than done. I know I'm simplifying it, but it's, it was that close. And instead, they got rid of uh, Tucker Barnhart and, and Wade Miley just for nothing. That was the signal last year, if you recall. That was the signal. Oh, and then they uh, trade away everyone so that they could say, we don't have a choice but to trade Castillo at the deadline and to trade Tyler Miller. We have to. Well, you only have to because you gave up before the season started. And so uh, I think it's a, it's a fair point that needs to be made that it's 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 none of this had to happen. And so many Cincinnati fans have been, uh, you know, I call it Stockholm Syndrome, have been just sort of gaslit and believing it has to be this way for the Reds. They can only win once every decade. And it does not have to be that way. The Castellanis, I'm telling you, made money this year. Worst attendance since 1984, worst ever in Great American Ballpark history. They made money this year. But here's my prediction. They're going to use – sorry, I'm on another rant here, Nate. It's, just, it's one of those days. Go. Uh, go with it. They're going to use this lack of uh, attendance – the worst since 1984, say that that they can't invest in next year's team because they're, they're going to tell us – it will come out of this, and I want someone to remember, remind me of this prediction because uh, when this prediction comes, I'm going to make James Irving get a crowdsource tattoo. Um, <laughs> they're going to tell us, well, we didn't have attendance, so we can't – you know, we lost money. They're going to say we lost money, and they did not lose money. There's no way they lost money. It's, it's, it's impossible. Now, that being said, where I was trying to go before I got off on a rant was – what you alluded to a moment ago. Okay, I don't like where we are, how we got here, but there's a path to being a competitive team, maybe not next year. Okay, they, they've torn it down too much to be competitive in 2023, but 2024, yeah. Some of these young guys should, if they pan out, and I'm never counting on any uh, prospect to pan out. And if you are, blind faith, uh, that's all I'm telling you. Um, ask uh, Jose Barrero and Nick Senzel how that, how that worked out. Um, but some of these big prospects, and I love me some Ellie De La Cruz and Noelle Marte. I love them. But if they, if some of those guys do pan out, and you know, the Spencer Steers and the Incarnaciones and the, you know, whoever, uh, you know, Brandon Williams and these guys, if some of those pan out, they'll be arriving no later than 2024. And the Reds are going to have so much financial flexibility that they could really improve the team for next year. Shoot for a, you know, a garden variety average team even next year. They're going to be below average, but try to get us close. Try to actually win games. That's a novel concept for the Reds. Try to win some games. Try to, and, and people will start buying in. And then 2024, you could be uh, genuinely good. But if you don't do it then, you're going to be in trouble because you're starting to lose your window of uh, Tyler Stevenson and Jonathan India and, and those guys. So anyway, um, that's why I still am hopeful because it's they could do it. They could do it. But anyway, go ahead, Nate. I'm sorry. I don't know if there's anything more left to say. <laughs> I did think it was interesting that in your uh, in your article about how the the rebuild might not take as long as as we might fear, it was interesting that in your plan for what they need to do next year, you said they need to add a veteran pitcher and find a uh, bridge the gap position player outfielder. Yeah, I feel like they, I feel like they had a bunch of those on the team. <laughs> 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 that's why I say they didn't have to be this way. Yeah, they did. You also said, you know, we can make we can make next season like a just like an eighty eight loss win season. I was like, oh man, we're we're judging seasons and losses now. Not even not even eighty wins. <laughs> if everything breaks right next year, we can have eighty eight losses. Go Reds! Dare to dream, baby. Dare to dream. <laughs>
Uh, anyway, whatever it is, what it is. I, I think it's hilarious that the Reds lost 100 games. I mean, if you're going to be a bad team, let's just not be a garden variety bad team. Let's go for the, let's go for it. And so uh, they lost 100 games. I hope it embarrassed the Castellanos a little bit. But uh, what we need to do now, Nate, before we get too much further, is you had a good idea, and I think it's uh, again going back and revisiting something we've done in past shows. Uh, we decided we're going to see how our preseason predictions panned out. You want to do that? <laughs> yeah, I do. And uh, spoiler alert. We did not do very well. <laughs> we did not. We did not do. Uh, it was not perfect. Uh, so maybe we shouldn't even revisit these because people are gonna say, "Why are we listening to these guys? They don't know what they're talking about." <laughs> I, so, I think it just uh, it's proof that there is a time for optimism, even on this podcast. Like we were going into yeah. last season uh, or this season with eyes wide open, thinking that this could be this could be fun. So here's some proof. Well, and, and listen, we're gonna we're gonna be uh, optimistic over the. Winter and coming in next season will be the same way, you know. Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, there's a chance here. Yeah, you kind of squint and hope you can see that. We're, we're always going to try to tell you the truth if you want someone to just give you uh, optimism. We're not your we're not your place, but we're going to try to tell you the truth. But also, um, we get caught up in it. We love this team. You know, we're, we're fans first. We're not we're not journalists. We're fans. So the the uh, I don't know the what the what the term I'm looking for is, but the way we uh, pr- presented these. Preseason predictions were in uh, must have been right around the Oscars, uh, the Academy Awards. Yeah, it was right, because we it's right after the uh, the slap heard around the world. Oh, Tommy Pham, or oh, no, the other one. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right, Will Smith. Um, yeah, so so our, so we, we we started out with who's going to be the best actor in a lead role, which uh, I presume we meant uh, best uh, best hitter. I think if I'm if I'm correct. Yeah, best um, hitter, team MVP, or you want to take that. Yeah, there we go. Right. Yeah. So, um, well, let me say this: Bill Lack, the the Podfather, is with us. Um, we tried to get him to come on uh, today to do these uh, predictions with us, or to re- revisit these predictions. He uh, decided that uh, going to dinner with his wife on his anniversary was more important. I don't really understand that, but so he's not here, so we can make fun of him with impunity. Um, Congratulations so, on the anniversary! <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, so uh, who was your prediction, Nate? I went with Jonathan India. I thought that um, even if he wasn't going to be the team stats leader, that he would sort of be the heart and soul of the of the team throughout the season, and that was going to propel this team to, you know, something something resembling a decent season. I said uh, I tried to joke and say Kyle Farmer, but uh, ultimately I guess I went Joey Votto. Um, just coming off that great season last year, thought Joey Votto might do it. Uh, Nate. Bill Lack uh, disagreed with both of us. He said it was Tyler Stevenson. So now I guess the question is, who is actually who? If we say this is the best, I don't, this has got to be best best hitter. I think. Um, yeah. If we look at it that way, who was the best hitter? Who do you think wins that award? Any of our three? So none of our three, and none of them were particularly close. I think it's pretty fair to say that uh, Tyler Stevenson would have. He would have stayed healthy, but unfortunately, as we all know, he did not. I think it's Brandon Drury, and I'm yeah. going to say that he counts, even though he did not finish the season a red. He was still fourth on the team in games played. Um, but he had a slash line of 274, 335, 520. He's the only player that played over half the team's games with an OPS in the eights, 128 OPS plus, if you like that. But he led all offensive players with a uh, 2.3 wins above replacement. So 
I think it's yeah, pretty- led the team with 20 home runs, uh, 59 ribeye stakes, second team. Uh, to me, I think it's pretty clear. And, I, and you hate to give it a postseason award to someone that is not on the team anymore. But given that only three players, I believe, played more than 100 games anyway, yeah. uh, I think you got to go with uh, with Brandon Drury. So great, best actor in a leading role. Now, it would have been Tyler Stevenson. Tyler Stevenson's numbers are uh, compare very favorably. And are somewhat yes. similar, actually, to uh, to Brandon Drury's. But of course, Drury played uh, had twi- over twice as many played appearances. So, Brandon Drury, best actor in a lead role. What's the, what's the next category, Nate? Next one up is uh, best pitcher, but that is the way that hillbillies say it because hillbillies say picture as pitcher. So it's the best picture award, but hillbillies saying best pitcher. I think we all oh, like know it. what that means. And we were all unanimous on this one. I was surprised when I went back and uh, and, and rewatched the episode. We were all really, really heavily leaning towards Tyler Malley. How is that? How did we not have uh, another certain right-hander on our list? Well, we all sort of expressed worries about Castillo uh, getting injured. I remember, if you remember at that time, there were a lot of concerns, a lot of uh, vagueness over you know, him not starting the season and when he was going to be ready. So I think right. that our... Skepticism is, is fair, but we all were very, very happy to go with Tyler Malley, and that's not who ended up getting it. Who do, who do you think was the best pitcher this season? Well, I think that you can. I think there's a couple of guys that you could uh, give this to. Um, I, I think I, I think I have, I have to give it to again. He's not a red anymore, but Luis Castillo. I mean, uh, four and four, two point eight six ERA and in, in fourteen starts. Um, if you look at Baseball Reference wins over replacement, which is not exactly your best. Uh, Stats compare pitchers, but still, he had three uh, wins over replacement as a red, which led the team. Uh, you know, 90 strikeouts, 85 innings. There's one other guy I think I could give it to. Um, I'm interested to hear what you think. But to me, the best pitcher has, has to has, again, Brandon Drury and Luis Castillo. Godspeed to both of you. You're no longer with us. but um, And good luck in the playoffs to both of you. But I, to me, that's who I could give it to. I think that is completely fair. Totally fine option. I went a different direction. went with Alexis Diaz. Um, he actually finished the season with 3.1 wins above replacement on uh, baseball reference, which le- uh, led the team hitting more pitching. So he uh, eked out over Castillo there. He had an absurd 243 ERA plus. And, you know, if you like the classic stats, 1.84 ERA and a .96 whip. We know how I feel about that. Um, Castillo, I'm not going to argue with it. He was probably the most out thing, you know, that maybe he's more valuable. I don't know. But Alexis Diaz. Coming onto the scene with no expectations. Love to see it. Hope he's around for a while. Yeah, that's the other guy I, re- I was referencing. Uh, he's the, he was the only other one that's in the conversation. And what, a, what an amazing season. Just an absolutely mm-hmm. fabulous season. And I'm like, you hope we see much more of that. All right, best supporting actor. The best player who wasn't the team MVP. Best player who was not named team MVP. Now, I said Tyler Malley again. Bill said Nick Senzel. No, no comment. And Nate, uh, you went with a, probably a reasonable choice, Joey Votto. Best supporting actor in the booth as well. <laughs> That's true. So who who is if we say so? Who are we are, are we who are we saying is the team MVP? I guess Drury. I guess Drury. Uh, well, let's if say, you let's, have, let's, who? Go ahead. Let's have this, let's have this conversation real quick. I've heard it on some other podcasts, and we should probably do it too. I think there is an argument to be made for Kyle Farmer. I don't think that necessarily the MVP is always the best player on the team, but he played the most. They seem to love him in the clubhouse. He 
was one of the only constants on the team, for better or worse. I don't know. I, I like my MVPs to at least be good. But they also <laughs> probably need to be on the team. Like, Kyle Farmer can be your captain if you want to have a captain. You don't need to be good to be the captain. But I need you to be valuable, not just a player. Take out the V. Kyle Farmer's the most player. <laughs> He's the MP of the season, yes. He's the most player. That's funny. If we're talking about it, it has to be someone that's on the team. I think it's, to me it's clearly Alexis Diaz is the MVP. To me, if you're if it's mm -hmm. a player that has to be on the team right now. Uh, and, yes, Kyle Farmer can be in that conversation, but we're talking about one win of a replacement, a below average hitter. Um, certainly, I, I agree. Uh, Nada, you got to pick me up when I sneeze, man. Um, I clicked <laughs> off the screen. I didn't know that. I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to throw something else out there. The guy you mentioned for the last war, Luis Castillo. Um, he's not on the team, sure, but not only was he valuable while he was a Red this season, but he also provided value by no longer being a Red. Ooh, yes, uh, the haul that the Reds Hall's got. Hall. That's right. You know, I mean, again, we, we laugh about that, but it's true. That's pretty – to the extent that we can still have optimism for the future, a lot of that's – based on what we got for Luis Casillo in return. So uh, maybe maybe five years from now, maybe we'll say that's most valuable. I hope so. Gosh, please, I hope so. Let's let's say we're, we're saying that it, it has to be someone that's on the team. He's your team MVP. I go Alexis Diaz. Who do you go? Um, Diaz also. Okay, so who's the second one? The best supporting actor. Best player who wasn't team MVP. For this one, that's I did not uh, qualify having to have finished the season as a Rick. I went with Castillo on this one. Okay, so you go, you go with that too. Makes makes complete sense. You know where I probably go. I think I go Tyler Stevenson. He, just, mm -hmm. he was just so good when he played. He didn't play that much, but he was so good when he played. That's uh, and I, I just want to talk about him. All right, what's the next category? Next up, we have uh, best comedy. This is the best comedic moment of the year, and it says in the instructions that the nominee can be a Nick Crawl press conference. Um, I think any of us would have said that a Nick Crawl, um, you know, mess up would flub would have been the front runner for this going into the season. But we had a runaway winner. We did, and, and uh, Joseph Daniel Votto just keeping Reds Nation and the nation at large in stitches, whether it be through social media or his time in the booth, just last or two nights ago talking about Spencer Steer's nipples. It was just a <laughs> start to finish. Just beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I, you and I both, I, I said Votto's TikTok, you said a social media account. Uh, uh, Bill's is an interesting one. I want to talk about just a moment. I think ultimately it probably, probably is Votto in the booth was to me, but maybe just say Votto all the way around. Um, but yeah, best comedic moment might be Votto talking about, uh, nipples in the, <laughs> the booth. that might be the single now bill's uh prediction was quote pick your castellini and i think there's a point to be, uh, you know a, a, a case to be made here uh, maybe it's dark comedy but how much entertainment did we get out of phil castellini vomiting all over himself on the field before the home opener i mean we've we've been laughing about that moment and what i sent what i want like to call his reaction to our billboard uh, but uh, to me that was uh it, it, it caused heartburn, but unintentionally funny in a lot of ways. And and, and the corollary there is, because we said Nick Crawl press conference, you notice we've not seen Phil Castellini 
or Nick Crawl hardly yet. Phil can clean at all. And Crawl, you don't see him either uh, all season long. Just very briefly and talking just his very few buddies in the uh, local press corps that don't do any uh, uh, that won't criticize him. So yeah. um, you're right. And in the spirit of this award, it was best comedic moment. So I think that that has to take it. The moment itself, I don't know. I certainly didn't laugh too much when uh, you know words fell out of his mouth like Spartacus quotes that we won't get into. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, sound off in the comments if you uh, recognize that reference. But the uh, the memes and the dialogue that uh, happened as a result of his word vomit. Oh man, it's just it's worth it. It's been glorious. I mean, the one that, that goes around all the time that I don't post as often as I should. It's just it's fantastic. Somebody pick, snapped a picture of him uh, with that red jacket on in a, in a convertible at the parade. You know, and it's just it's the perfect look on his face. I mean, it's it's just the perfect meme. And get in, loser. We're cutting payroll. <laughs> and it's just it's fabulous. Um, I've got more. Uh, I've got more fun out of poking fun at uh, Phil Castellini than I ever. So uh, really, I owe him quite a bit. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. It's true. By the way, uh, I'll say it again. We've said it on social media. Phil, um, open invitation. If you want to start rebuilding your relationship to fans, come on here. And I'm sure that we will be just as, uh, you know, uh, polite. And, oh, we'll be polite, but I'm sure we'll we'll treat you with the same kid gloves that all other media treat you with that you speak with, uh, the local guys. Uh, I'm sure we, will, we won't ask any tough questions at all. Come on on here, on here and let's just let's talk about the Reds. It'll be great. It'll be great. All right, Nate, what's the next category? The next one was fun. So it's a best performance from a newcomer, obviously best rookie. We all, we had a unanimous choice on this in the preseason as well. And uh, it was all, we all went Nick Lodolo. We were all very, very high on him. And I think if you, when you went back and listened to that, we all kind of were saying the same thing that we said throughout the season. We all think Hunter Green has the higher ceiling, but we thought Nick Lodolo would do better this season. Um, now that we are a day removed, I think that, um, well, actually, the race got a lot closer than it probably looked like it would a month ago, a month and a half ago. Some of those young arms really turned in fantastic performances down the stretch. But if you're going to go with him for uh, MVP, I think you still have to go with Alexis Diaz here for best rookie. Yeah, and, you know, um, Lodolo, I think if, if, you, if you look at the guys we've talked about on that uh, predictions podcast – uh, I think Lodolo was pretty much what we expected, and we only expected it because he's a little older, college guy. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he bore that out a great season, three point six six ERA. I think Hunter Green showed exactly what we were talking about that high ceiling. Um, Graham Ashcraft, who uh, yeah, roughed up in his last uh, start or two, and so maybe um, the numbers don't look quite as good, but just an outstanding season for Graham Ashcraft. But yeah, uh, I didn't go back and listen to that one, uh, the preseason predictions, but. I guarantee you, we didn't talk about Alexis Diaz, and uh, nope. it's, it's a runaway. Clearly, Alexis. Diaz. He didn't get mentioned once. I did um, have a little caveat here that if we want to go with best specific performance, Hunter Green's outing on June the sixth, seven innings pitched, eight strikeouts, one hit, no walks, was the highest single game score from any of the rookie pitchers this year, and it was just and, incredible. Yeah, and, and this is something I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot over the winter. Uh, and, and heading into next season because, again, if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, which we are so desperately searching for those, those four guys, those four rookie pitchers, that's it. And that's why I say surround them with a veteran to help them, you know, shepherd them through these next few years. But, and again, they already had that, but whatever. Um, that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's the single, right. That's the single most exciting thing about 
this year's season. All right, next uh, category, best director. And this is described as the most impactful coach, manager, or front office employee. Most impactful coach, manager, or front office employee. I said Nick Crawl. Nate, you said Derek Johnson and Bill again. Mm -hmm. Pick your Castellini. Who's the actual winner here? So shout out to DJ and his work with those young arms. But um, as far as, you know, for the the heart of this segment, as far as what got the most Oscar buzz this season, had to be Crawl's Hall, man. I mean, it had, it had, you know, the Reds were in everybody's mouth for, uh, you know, two or three days there. It's about the only time the team was relevant. Yeah, right. No, I think, um, okay, I'm of two minds here. Best implies good, and Nick Crawl um, did some bad stuff we don't like, but a lot of that was clearly he was being forced to do some of those things. Um, although I, well, anyway, I'm going to do that. But he did have a good, I really want to say other things, but he, I can't deny he had a really good trade deadline. So if you're talking about best in that in that sense as, as, as something good, yes, but the description was most impactful. And again, the most impactful thing that happened this season was Phil Castellini, uh, you know, uh, when his, his silver spoon was dangling from the corner of his mouth as he was saying, where are you going to go? Because in terms of impactful, if he doesn't do that, the attendance is still going to be down. It's not going to be down this much. Uh, I don't know. The truth is, I don't know if we lose 100 games if he doesn't do that, because it just seemed like that, that cast such a pall coming right after getting rid of everyone, the, the Winker and the Suarez trades. Um and so just everything started out so poorly. I don't know. Maybe they still do lose under games. But so most impactful still goes back to him. But I think you're right. I think the actual winner of this is Nick Crawl. And uh, and someone predicted that. So, uh, oh, yeah, it was me. <laughs> I like All how right. you just switched it up there at the end so you would have the right answer and not Bill. You hear that, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He could have been here. He could have been here. All right. What's next, Nate? Next one's easy. Best cinematography player with the best social media presence. Um, whenever I made my preseason prediction, I was still holding out hope that the Reds would sign Johnny Cueto. So I thought that there would be some competition here. But it turns out that you wanted uh, went for Joey Votto um, with some love for Jonathan Indy in there. I went with Joey. Bill didn't pick. I assume it's because Bill's not aware of what social media is. <laughs> oh, we love you, Bill. But um, looking back on after the season, I think the answer has got to be fairly obvious. Mr. Joseph Daniel, the GOAT himself, Votto. Yeah, that's not even close. Not even close. All right, next is the Lifetime Achievement Award, a.k.a. the Joey Votto Award, which we build as just another chance to toss more love to Joey Votto. Who wins the Joey Votto Lifetime Achievement Award, Nate? It's Joey until he not just retires, but leaves the game. If he retires and then becomes um, you know, play-by-play guy or color guy, Still his award every year until he retires from that, too. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to do a deep dive at some point this offseason into his broadcasting because just glorious. Absolutely glorious. So, yes, Joey Votto wins the Joey Votto Award. Um, add, it to your, add it to your pile of awards. It's <laughs> like an award. Um, this next one got right. uh, a little depressing. <laughs> Is something depressing about the 2022 <laughs> It was a, uh, a question. It was actually the first viewer mail question in that episode. It's from Joe Farsing. He asked what era. Just throw out some bold predictions for the 2022 season. Um, yours weren't too bad. You threw out there that Tyler Stevenson is the best offensive player on the team and that Nick Lodolo will be the best starter on the team. 
I, I would say you can make an argument that both those are true. Happened, but you could make an argument for both of them. Yeah. Um, Bill said he hopes that Nixon Zell plays 135 games. Didn't happen, but he did end up with the second or third most games played on the team. Well, right. But but now Nate, you've skipped over your own. What were your own bold Ooh. predictions on that? So, moving on. You ready for some viewer mail? <laughs> no, 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 I'd like you to respond to that question first. Yeah, I would like to do some viewer mail. But let's hear what I don't remember what you said. So Joe asked for bold predictions. You guys went a little uh you guys went a little flaccid. I went with the Reds winning the final wild card spot. Uh top ten MVP finishes from both Joey Votto and Jonathan India. Remember bold predictions. And then I said, Nixon Zell wins comeback player of the year. Oh, my. I, I can't decide which of those was worse. I, I can't decide. Good. Which one were you further off from? I, I, they're all like in a different galaxy. Of the three, two of them you can blame on injuries. So I think the Reds winning a wild card and then ending up with 100 losses is pretty yeah. far. Well, I blame that on injuries, too. It's clearly because uh, you know, Connor Overton was hurt part of the year is why the Reds did win the wild card. Point. All right, Nate, how about some viewer mail questions, shall we? Let's get to it. The last edition of viewer mail for the regular season. Oh, my goodness. It's been a fun season uh, with uh, with all of you. This first I like question the off-season. Jo- off the viewer mail questions get weird. So That's true, actually. If you've not been around during an off-season, uh, first of all, where you been? Second of all, get ready because it's about to get weird around here. We're not going away. Um, first comes from our buddy Joe Farsing. As, we, as we've told you, these viewer mail questions come from our friends at patreon.com slash Riverfront Sensi. Joe says, can we give Phil, I presume he means uh, Phil Castellini, a kick in the balls for every loss for charity? $100 per boot. Mo Egger, local uh, television uh, personality, Mo Egger, suggested a dunking booth, but I feel my idea would bring a larger response. I don't think <laughs> Phil could survive the number of people that would be wanting to uh, give him a, a kick in the, uh, the no okay place. Um so, yeah, I mean, I'm all for it, whatever. I'll, I'll pony up $100. I'll, I'll be handing that $100 to just random passersby. <laughs> but the, the, the Mo Egger comment, and then I'll, I'll let you answer the question, but, but I, I'm going to ask you a second question, which is, you know, if they were serious, and they're not, we were, but if they were serious about trying to repair this uh, relationship with the fans, Phil literally would be in a dunking booth, and the proceeds <laughs> would go to the Reds Community Fund, and they would make so much money, but I just don't got, have the sense that uh, – you know, daddy's boy, uh, you know, um, has the self-awareness or, uh, you know, humor to laugh at himself uh, that much. It would it would be pretty good. I mean, if you're going to go to Reds Fest, which I'm not, which I hate because I've had so much fun at Reds Fest in the past. I'm not going to be there. But, oh, there's, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a picture of Chad and Dusty Baker at Reds Fest uh, one year, uh, many years ago. Um, so, anyway, Nate, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think we necessarily want to condone that kind of violence or at least encourage it here at the riverfront. But, you know, even if you can't argue that it's deserved. So I say we go a different direction with this and we make him embarrass himself in the public eye. I'm thinking like local karaoke nights, stand up comedy with no preparation. You know, we could create a Tinder profile for him. And for every hundred dollars <laughs> donated, he has to watch a hundred people swipe left. And just reject him <laughs> to his face over and over and over. I think that would be the most tormenting for uh, for Phil. I'm interested to see when he next makes a public appearance because he's been hidden. 
since uh, since opening day. Like he came out one time to uh, make some comments to the season ticket holders, and uh, that's it. That was that's all it. Seen him. So, yeah, crazy. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't. They, they never flashed into the owner's box in a game, and I saw him on television. Of course, I've saddest story of my life. I haven't been a Great American Ballpark since 2019. I mean, obviously 2020 they weren't there, but I started the boycott 2021, and now two straight seasons. I, I miss the old ball yard. Uh, I really do, I, but I don't like it. I feel like I've gotten looped into this too by you know, <laughs> you know by association. So. Yeah. Uh, Still the team, Bob, so I can come back to a game. Gee, doesn't oh, my one ticket matter? Please, I want to come back. Actually, uh, that one ticket would have made a significant difference in the numbers this year. They were so low. All right, next question from Joey Gadiza. Joey asks, well, the Reds hit 100 in style, getting blown away to end the season. I ask, what now? What does the offseason agenda include, or uh, what should it include? What must it include? The offseason agenda. Well, if we're talking about the offseason agenda for the Riverfront, it's going to be lots of of uh, frivolity and uh, and silliness, lots of nonsense. That's right. But that's sort of like the regular season, too. If we're talking about the Reds, what's on the agenda for the Reds? I really truly don't know. Uh, if I had to guess, I would say nothing. They they, they just go go into next season saying we're going to spend any money. Uh, hey, hey, look, we have some shiny prospects. We're doing a rebuild, but uh, we're doing it, you know, right. Uh, I don't expect we're going to see much of anything. I, you know, they'll, they'll make some major league signings that will not be noteworthy is my prediction. They won't really start trying to improve the major league product until uh, the following season, which is ludicrous. They're a professional sports franchise. They should be trying to win games on their major league level every year, but I've lost that argument with the Castellanis. Uh What do you think, Nate? No, you laid out in your article some, uh, some stuff that, that makes sense, some kind of bridge, bridge the gap players. But I say they just – Decide to go super weird with it. Uh, let's just let's call it old timer games. Use every different weekend series, every home series as an old timers game. Give like three day contracts to Jay Bruce, Adam Dunn, Austin Kearns, Bronson get a start or two in there. Aaron Harang maybe. Brett Tomko. Brett Tomko, come back. We can get the <laughs> Logan Andrusic. Please, please. We can finally learn the answer to the age old question: Where's Quinones? <laughs> yes. Pitching for the Reds in May. Let's go. I, I don't know what they can do. Um, honestly, also, I, you know, I don't know what the point is of doing much of anything for next year. If you can get some guys that, um, the example you use in your article is Michael Porta, like free agent that's coming off some weird injuries that might want like a three or four year deal at a little bit of a discount just to get that guaranteed money. Something like, like that could really make sense. But other than that, why would they spend money on the 2023 roster? Do you want to know why? Because the job of a professional sports franchise is to win games and make their fans happy. Oh, I always <laughs> forget that. You know, and if I can forget that, it must be easy for them to forget that. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Um, I, I, my hope is this, and I don't, I don't have any faith that this is going to be the case. My hope, though, is maybe this is my hope. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what I hope anymore, uh, but my hope is that the lack of attendance this year, this might be a fear, actually. See, I'm, I'm having one of my patented unpredictable changes of thought right in front of your eyes here. Um, what if the Castellanis get freaked out over the way everything went off the edge this year and that, that crazy uh, number, the you know, lowest attendance in the history of American Ballpark and 100 losses and reverse course? 
because they've done it before. They've done it every other time they've tried to plan. They reverse course before they actually execute the plan. Now, I don't think they will. I think it's more likely to be what you say. But um, but what if they did that? I mean, okay, I'd be okay with it, I guess, if you're going to actually try to compete. But I, I don't care about, about the Chattanooga lookouts. I don't care about the Dayton Dragons. I don't care that they've got big prospects down there. I only care about what those prospects mean for the big league club. Now, some of these guys are going to be good. They're not all going to be good. And so I'm not going to get excited about any of them until they actually get up here, except for Elliot De La Cruz. I will always be excited about him. So the answer is I don't know. It's, it's either going to be the quietest winter we've ever seen or it's just kind of a wacky winter. And I genuinely don't know which it's going to be. Seth Shaner. Seth Shaner says this. Let's face it. Yesterday, the final game of the season was a microcosm of the entire season. But Tuesday night, the night before, when Hunter Green had an outstanding start, and the Reds actually looked good, um, was a look at what could be possible. The Reds become viable again. How likely would you say each player who played a part in that win will be around for a significant role next year? And the players he names, and we'll just take them one at a time. Spencer Steer. I think Spencer Steer is going to be around for a significant role next year. Do you agree, Nate? Yes. Um, how significant the role will be based on the, the quality of the club is a different conversation. But are they going to get a lot of playing time? Are they going to be around for most of the season? Yeah, for sure. Just, yeah, and, and Steer, yeah, and Steer be okay. Um, Chucky Robinson, no. Um, Probably not. Uh, he may be around. Chucky Robinson is never going to play a significant role in the team. Chucky I, I Robinson wandered back into the cornfields at the end of the Field of Dreams game. Because <laughs> he sounds like he's from... <laughs> Right. Um, Alexis Diaz, yeah. Alexis Diaz is your, your closer next year. Um, you know, Jake Fraley is – he's um, he's quite Fraley-esque. That's about all I can say about him. He's uh, going to be a decent platoon guy. He'll be around. I hope the Reds can find someone to play the other half of the platoon with him. Um, what do you think about those uh, uh, – Alexis Diaz, Jake Fraley? Obviously, I think they're going to play a role. I don't know how good uh, Fraley is going to be, but he's going to have a – He's probably starting on an opening day, I guess. Yeah, I'm a little higher on Fraley than you are. I like guys that are to the good side of the platoon. And if he can just become a decent hitter on the other side, then he's, he's, he's still pretty young. He's got some power. He's got some speed. plays good defense. I guess I'm just a little bit higher. Alexis Diaz, for sure. If he is not a prominent part of this club, then next year is going to be worse than we already expected to be. Uh, yeah, agreed. Um and I'm not down on Fraley. I just think he's he's limited, but he's sure. what what he what he can do, he can do fairly well. And I like having guys like him around. Um, the next, the other, the next other, one's interesting. Louis, yeah, go ahead, Luis Sessa. I mean, Luis Sessa might be your number four starter next season, <laughs> or number one starter. Um, see, the truth is, Sessa started ten games and he did not look awful. No. I mean, and, you, and, and, as he go ahead, as if you were at all optimistic going into this season about Vladimir Gutierrez, why not feel that way about Luis Sessa? And uh, and Sessa is arbitration eligible, so uh, he probably will be back unless the Reds not tender him. I think he's in your starting rotation. <laughs> we said that <laughs> this time last year. I think Luis Sessa is in the opening day starting rotation next year. Yeah, and good for you, Luis. I'm glad that wasn't a yeah, disaster. No, happy for him. He enjoyed starting clearly and uh, was uh, somewhat effective. Good for him. What about the next name on this uh, list that Seth asks us about? Uh, Jose Barrero. Jose Barrero, man. I'm uh, 
I've still got one of the last houses on Barrero Island. I'm, I'm, I'm holding my real estate. I think he's going to be good. I'm calling. He's going to be good. He's going to be fine. He's going to figure it well, out. I hope so. I have, after watching him this season, he got a real shot here, second half, a, a legitimate shot, and he just did, did little with it. I think he probably does get a, a, a shot again. I think he's your shortstop on opening day. I think Kyle Farmer's your third baseman, and that's the next guy on the list, Kyle Farmer. Um, uh, to the extent that Kyle Farmer's still around, will uh, be uh, at third base. Well, although I don't know if we still have that, that Moustakas guy. But um, I think Ferrero gets another shot next year just because there's no one really ready right now to take it take that position over. Um, you know, we've got the, the McLeans. Matt McLeans we'll talk about in a moment. We've got the uh, L.A. De La Cruz's and the Welby Martes. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe Barrero can play well enough to, uh, you know, kind of uh, bridge that gap. Or maybe he can be the guy we thought Barrero was going to be. I don't know. But I, I don't see – I'm not that optimistic, but I don't see any reason not to I – mean, he, he, he's sort of the default for shortstop, I think. Is that fair? The reason that I'm holding out that optimism – actually kind of has a little to do with uh, the second part of Seth Shanner's question. He goes, as an aside, I didn't realize how large Barrero is and or how slight Steer is or both. During the celebration, the difference was stark. If you just watch Jose Barrero running around out there, if, if you remove the, the times when he's in the batter's box, he looks like one of the most impressive athletes that you've ever seen. He's big, he's strong, he's quick, he's graceful. Everything seems to be there except his ability to hit major league pitching. <laughs> Which he is looks smart, of, doesn't he? <laughs> gosh, he does. I mean, he passes the eye test in ways that very few professional baseball players do. You just look at the guy and you're like, oh, yeah, you were, you were created in a lab to, to play the sport. He's just 24, but uh, – and his defense is pretty good. I mean, you know, his defense – he had a couple Plus. of sort of high-profile uh, uh, issues there. But overall, 24-year-old shortstop. Good defense. His hitting was just even worse than I would have, would have expected. I thought it would be bad if he were just – Yeah, he just kept getting worse. Um, and so I don't know what the answer to that. Maybe, maybe he's never going to be that guy. But defensively, I think you're in good hands with Burrow at shortstop. Yeah. And so I don't have a problem with it defensively. And since there's no one else to take it from it, then why not just see if he's going to – I mean, your, your, your other option is to give it to Kyle Farmer. I mean – You hush. I know. I'm not saying Kyle Farmer can play elsewhere, but um, so anyway, uh, that's a good, that's a good question. Now I got to tell you what we uh, we've gone long here. I can't believe this. A uh, hundred losses just got us all amped up. So let's try to rapid fire through these last three questions, few questions if we can. All right. We're not going to go a hundred hundred minutes for hundred losses. Come on. We should go hundred and two minutes so that uh, James Urban has to get a tattoo. Um, uh, David Hurst. With the Castellinis alienating the fans and the team they put together, is there any expectation they'll do anything but decrease payroll further for 2023 and is 1-0-2 a reachable goal? Uh, and we've kind of hinted on this, but um, I don't know if they'll de decrease payroll any further because there's nowhere to decrease it. They have two, unless they can figure, find someone to take uh, Mike Moustakas off their hands or if Joey Votto retires, because those are the only two guys that are actually under contract. You take their Contracts for around forty-three million total, I think, um, and then plus, if you look at what they're going to have to pay for the arbitration eligible guys, what you presume they'll get right now, their payroll is going to be about seventy million uh, if if it's just our guys and then minimum for the other one. So, 
even to get to a major league average payroll, they could spend $40 million, $50 million. And you can make a that's why I say you could spend some money and still make you know uh, an impact here. I don't think they'll cut further because I don't think they're going to be able to cut for it. I don't see where they can cut further. So, no, I don't think they'll decrease. But, I, again, I'm, I'm not optimistic about them uh, raising it. But are they going to lose 102 games? No. I don't, I don't see it. Um, but then again, this current roster is a 110 loss team. Because if you Can't think about it, watch all- 2023. We're starting early this year. Listeners, viewers, figure out what tattoo you want Chad to get. Because he didn't say in that little clip you played earlier, this was for 2021 only. He did not specify. I'll say it now. If they lose 102 games next year, I'll get I'll get a tattoo. I'll do it. We'll get some goofy tattoo that y'all pick. Um. So anyway, what, what do you think, Nate? I said quick, and then I went on a little bit of a ramble. But nobody's going to take uh, you know Malibu Mike's salary, so it's not going to go yeah. lower. Yeah. Um, Jerry Sudduff, since twenty twenty three is a wash, would it benefit the Reds to sign Johnny Cueto to a one year contract if it's confidently Ooh. this year? Could provide leadership to the staff. More importantly, could be a way to attempt to start rebuilding faith with the fans by bringing back an old favorite. Is this a perfectly cromulent idea? Asks Jerry. And it is the most cromulent idea we've ever had. We've been talked earlier about signing a uh, a veteran to shepherd these uh, young pitchers through. Uh, and he, I don't care what position you played. Bringing back a future Reds Hall of Famer like Johnny Quaid, I'm always going to be on board. I don't care if it's, uh, you know, he should have retired six years ago. Bring him back. If they're not going to win next year anyway, bring him back. Bring all the old Reds back, as you, even the Jay Bruce's, like you said earlier. I've been harping on this all season. They should have got him in the offseason and didn't. And he's done better than pitch competently. He's been outstanding this year. Bring him back. Yeah, exactly. Please, please bring him back. All right, next question references something that we discussed just a moment ago. This comes from Carl J. Mitz. On the subject of the young guys, Matt McLean. This is the former Res number one draft pick out of the University of California at Los Angeles. Matt McLean has shown that he has the ability to hit for power and steal bases without completely killing his averages past year in the minors. Any chance he becomes the Jonathan India of spring training 2023? I could see him as the shortstop stepping stone between the Farmer era and the Ellie De La Cruz, Noel V. Marte era. Um, and I see Ellie and Noel V's ETA as the McLean's. I agree. Uh, McLean's a college guy. He will be 23 next season. So, uh, uh, and presumably will. I'm probably going to start in Triple A uh, next year. Um, not that he had an incredible season at Double A, but not bad uh, at Chattanooga. Again, he's two years younger than the average age in that league, and you know, uh, 363 on base, 453 slugging, so 816 OPS. He had uh, 17 homers, uh, 21 doubles uh, overall. A really pretty good season. And so this goes back to what we were just saying about Barrero. And I started to mention it, but I knew we had this uh, this question coming up. Um, could he be the Jonathan India? Um, I don't see it. I don't see the Reds handing him the shortstop job out of spring training. But what if he goes to Louisville and is crushing the ball and playing good defense at Louisville for the first six weeks of the season and Barrero is Barrero? Why not? Any thoughts on Matt McLean? Yeah, I think um, him referencing McLean possibly being the next Jonathan India, I think the parallels there are really strong especially because I think he's more likely to play second base than shortstop long-term. But, you know, he's had an OPS over 800 each of the last two seasons, and that's something that Jonathan India only did once, and that was in rookie ball. So I don't dislike that at all. Yeah, again, the question is going to be defensively. Can he handle it? Um, 
I don't know. I don't know where he'll end up. I, I, I like you. I'm not sure he's going to be the out of this group of short young shorts. I'm not sure he's the one to end up at shortstop. But yeah, um, it's one to watch. I just I can't see the Reds handing shortstop to him out of spring training. If we're talking about Jonathan India, because that's what the Reds did with Jonathan India. He he won the second base job. Um, but I don't know. It's one of the things to watch. James Urban is, says bummer that Tattoo Watch 2022 came up just short. Anyway, my question uh, this week's out of genuine curiosity. Does anyone know how much of an impact fans not showing up to games has on the owners? Like, is it enough to actually make a significant difference to revenue, or is this not doing much at all? I was proud and a little sad to see the lowest attendance in gap history, but I wonder if it makes any difference in the end. Uh, if you have anything you want to say, I'll let you do it quickly. I'll say it does have more of an impact in Cincinnati than in some other places. Game day revenue is more of the picture in Cincinnati than in, say, uh, New York or Los Angeles, but it, it doesn't make that much of a dent. Frankly, they still made money this year. The TV revenue still up there. Uh, it'll, it'll, it moves the needle in terms of the PR in, in some ways and embarrassing the owners and a little bit on the bottom line, but not enough to, I think, make much of a difference to cause them to, to, to sway from their path. Yeah, I couldn't find anything specifically uh, team by team, but one study that I was reading said that in the in MLB, most teams only generate around 10% of their revenue from in-person related items, tickets, merchandise, concessions, et cetera. It's all just media rights and licensing. So, I mean, 10% of a lot of money is a lot of money, but not enough to make them, you know, genuinely entertain the idea of selling the team or wholesale organizational philosophy changes. Uh, or maybe it is because they've made wholesale changes in their philosophy on the drop of a hat uh, many times in the That's past. So who knows? But but yeah, I think I think you're right. Now we have uh, three questions left, Nate. Two come from our friend Brian Bowdy. What we're gonna what I'm gonna say though is two of these are gonna take a while to answer. And I'm gonna say try to help me remember. We'll kick these over to next week. Uh, Calvin Medcalf's question and Brian's uh, second question uh, because we really need some time to unpack those because they're really good questions. So we'll go with the last question today. We Brian Bowdy's the promotions department needs to breathe some new life into giveaways for next season as bobbleheads aren't cutting it anymore. I say, say they start the year with a crawl hall doll. I love it as the first giveaway of the season, a Phil Castellini. Where are you going to go? Tropical vacation giveaway for one lucky fan at another game. <laughs> what other promos should they do for 2023? I don't know that I can come up with any two better than those, a crawl hall doll. And then a, a tropical vacation. Get, where are you going to go giveaway? I love it, Brian. Fantastic. Yeah, those are great ideas. They could buy up a couple thousand of the Riverfronts wears Quinonia's t-shirts, which can be found at our shop at www.riverfrontcincy.com. Other than that, I don't know. I love, I love the where you're going to go vacation. And I will absolutely help you remember that we need to answer those two questions. I say we call it now and just do a viewer mail only podcast next week. Oh, I like it. And we can do get into a bunch of these because I spent too much time getting into Calvin's question for us to just let this go ignored. So uh, stay right, tuned we need, for next week. I enjoyed yeah, that. We need to answer. We need to answer. It's a good question. Um, so let's do that. We'll do all viewer mail next week because uh, presumably there's not going to be a whole lot of news uh, to discuss anyway. So, But we're not done talking. We're going to be here every week, all off-season long. Uh, well, maybe every week. Uh, we may take a short break here at the Riverfront like we traditionally do. Um, in November. We'll see. I don't know. We're having so much fun that we may not. We may not. Uh, uh, if you're looking for something else to listen to th these days, I got to commend uh, Nate here and our buddy Joe Farsing on the, the Riverfront Bengals show, which uh, now in their own podcast, you go look for it. it. This week was a lot of fun because of the Bengals looking good, two wins in a row. And uh, you guys had a lot of fun with it. So I encourage you all to go find that and listen to it. 
Um, that'll that'll wrap it up here at uh, at the Riverfront today. Nate, do you have any final thoughts? No, I mean I'm glad that uh, all of y'all shared this season with me. If I had to do this on my own, I would have found myself at the bottom of a wine bottle more often than not. So it's easier with awesome people like y'all. And yeah, we'll be here all off season and we'll do it again next year. It was fun somehow. It, it actually was. And that was my final thought it was going to be as well. Thanks to everyone for hanging out with us this season. I mean, obviously thanks to our Patreon uh, family because hanging out in that Slack channel and laughing and goofing around and getting to know each of us, of you, uh, you know, personally a little bit and, you know, having fun with the tattoo watch and just what all the nonsense that we did in there was fun. But everyone that listens here, because I'm, we're getting, I'm getting feedback on Twitter all the time from, uh, from listeners to the show. And um, it's something that we say all, all the time, which is misery loves company. Um, I hope that we did well by you this year. I hope we figured out a way to have fun during this uh, incredibly rough season, because that's, we all love this team and we're just, we're just trying to have fun. And, uh, and sometimes they're highs and sometimes they're lows and, you know, uh, go back and listen to me at the trade deadline and I was pissed off. And then listen to me after the Field of Dreams game. And I was like, oh, dreamy about the Reds in baseball. Peaks and valleys, some people call them. We have them here too. But uh, I hope we I hope we did right by you. I hope we figured out a way to have some fun. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, I do want to uh, ask you to remember, please subscribe to the show, either on YouTube or in your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Riverfront Cincy on all those platforms. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know, uh, I guess just a, a big thank you to uh, to all of you. And you are invited to come join our hijinks at uh, patreon.com slash riverfront cincy. Um, but if you don't, you know what, we're going to be here every week. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be free to the masses because it's just so much fun. Nate, fun season, man. Somehow. <laughs> another one in the books. Oh, another one in the books for Nate Dotson and Taylor Motter who is actually a player that played for the Cincinnati Reds this season. This is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone.